blind, have low vision, or have another print disability, which makes reading, holding a book, or turning a page difficult or impossible. The content is copyrighted by the respective publishers. For more information, please visit us on the web at nfradioreading.org. Hello, this is Gardenia, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the Niagara Falls Review, 2023, on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In the United States, a skin patch to treat peanut allergies? Study in toddlers shows promise. An experimental skin patch is showing promise to treat toddlers who are highly allergic to peanuts, training their bodies to handle an accidental bite. By Lauren Nuregard, the Associated Press, Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. An experimental skin patch is showing promise to treat toddlers who are highly allergic to peanuts, training their bodies to handle an accidental bite. Peanut allergies is one of the most common and dangerous food allergies. Parents of allergic tots are constantly on guard against exposures that can turn birthday parties and playdates into emergency room visits. There is no cure. The only treatment is for children four and older who can consume a special peanut powder to protect against a severe reaction. The patch name, Viaskin, aims to deliver that kind of treatment through the skin instead. In a major test with youngsters ages one to three, it helped those who couldn't tolerate even a small fraction of a peanut to eventually safely eat a few, researchers reported Wednesday. If additional testing pans out, this would fill a huge unmet need, said Dr. Matthew Greenhot, an allergist at Children's Hospital Colorado, who helped lead the study. About 2% of U.S. children are allergic to peanuts, some so severely that even a tiny amount can cause a life-threatening reaction. Their immune system overreacts to peanut-containing foods, triggering an inflammatory cascade that causes hives, wheezing, or worse. Some youngsters outgrow the allergy, but most must avoid peanuts for life and carry rescue medicine to stave off a severe reaction if they accidentally ingest one. In 2020, the Food and Drug Administration approved the first treatment to induce tolerance to peanuts, an oral immunotherapy named palforzia that children ages 4 to, 12, 4 to 17 consume daily to keep up the protection. AIM Immune Therapeutics Palforzia also is being tested in toddlers. Francis D.P. DBV Technologies is pursuing skin-based immunotherapy as an alternative way to desensitize the body to allergens. The via skin patch is coated with a small amount of peanut protein that is absorbed into the skin. A daily patch is worn between shoulder between the shoulder blades where toddlers can't pull it off. In the new study, 362 toddlers with peanut allergy first were tested to see how high a dose of peanut protein they could tolerate. Then they were randomly assigned to use a via skin patch or a look-alike dummy patch every day. After a year of treatment, they were tested again and about two-thirds of the toddlers who used a real patch could safely ingest more peanuts, the equivalent of three to four, researchers concluded. That compares to about a third of youngsters given the dummy patches, Greenhot said, they likely include children who are outgrowing the allergy. As for safety, four Viaskin recipients experienced an allergic reaction called anaphylaxis that was deemed related to the patch. Three were treated with epinephrine to calm the reaction, and one dropped out of the study. Some youngsters also accidentally ate peanut-containing foods during the study, and researchers said allergic reactions were less frequent among the Viaskin users than those wearing the dummy patches. The most common side effect was skin irritation at the patch site. The findings were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. The results are very good news for toddlers and their families, and the next step toward a future with more treatments for food allergies, Dr. Alkis Togias of the National Institutes of Health, which, has, which wasn't involved with the study, wrote in an accompanying editorial.
Togaya's cautioned that it's too early to compare oral and skin treatments, but pointed to data suggesting each might have different pros and cons, raising the possibility that oral therapy might be stronger but also cause more side effects. DBP, DBV Technologies has struggled for several years to bring the peanut patch to market. Last month, the company announced the FDA wants some additional safety data for toddlers, and a separate study already is tracking longer treatment. A study of 4- to 7-year-olds also is underway. The Associated Press Health and Science Department received support from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute's Department of Science Education. The AP is solely responsible for all content. In the United States, missing climbers in Alaska likely trigger triggered avalanche fell. By Mark Siesen, The Associated Press, Tuesday, May 9, 2023. Above image, this undated photo provided by the National Park Service shows the West Ridge climbing route of Moose's Tooth, a 10,300-foot peak in Denali National Park, where officials are looking for two climbers. Two mountain climbers missing in Alaska likely triggered a small avalanche, and officials said Tuesday the projected pass of their suspected fall would end at a heavily crevassed glacier. That is the area we are focusing our aerial search efforts in the days to come, Denali National Park and Preserve spokesperson Maureen Golteri said. Eli Michael, 34, of Columbia City, Indiana, and Nafian Awal, 32, of Seattle, are presumed to have fallen Friday while climbing the West Ridge route of Mrs. Tooth a 10,300-foot, 3,140-meter mountain in Ruth Gorge, about 12 miles, 19 kilometers, southeast of Denali, the tallest mountain in North America, park officials said. No aerial search was planned Tuesday because of low visibility and snowfall in the gorge. The two men last contacted friends via a satellite communication device at about 5 a.m. Friday. Two days later, friends contacted park officials when they hadn't heard back from the climbers. Mountaineering rangers used a contact, contract helicopter to fly over the area for about eight hours between Sunday and Monday. Ground searchers on the glacier those days included a ranger harnessed to the helicopter's short-haul rope to help protect the ranger from falling into a crevice. On Sunday, the first day of the search, rangers around Rangers found the climbers' unattended tent and ski tracks that led to the base of the West Ridge climbing route. At that location, they found the men's skis, indicating they had switched to crampons for the climb. Rangers followed the boot tracks to the avalanche. The avalanche itself looks to be a comparatively small one in terms of snow volume, so we are not seeing a large debris pile at the base. Gulteri said, whatever debris there was, it appears to have been deposited into the various large crevices on the glacier. Among items found in the avalanche pass were two ice axes high in the debris field and a climbing helmet down lower. Gulteri said, said that indicates the two climbers possibly lost the items as they fell. The National Park is about 240 miles, 370 kilometers, north of Anchorage. In the United States, Florida detective accused of falsifying sex crime cases by the Associated Press, Wednesday, May 10, 2023. Above image, this photo provided by Broward's Sheriff's Office shows Demetrius Campbell, Campbell, a detective who has been with South Florida Sheriff Agency for nearly 21 years, is accused of falsifying information in multiple cases and of threatening one victim with deportation. Uh, deportation. A detective who has been with South Florida Sheriff's Agency for nearly 21 years is accused of falsifying information in multiple cases and of threatening one victim with deportation. Detective Demetrius Campbell, 48, was arrested Tuesday 
on nine counts of official misconduct and one count of extortion, the Broward Sheriff's Office said in a news release. He was suspended without pay and remained in Broward County Jail on Wednesday morning. Sex offenses are such heinous crimes to recover from because of the emotional and sometimes physical scars endured by victims that last for many years, Sheriff Gregory Tony said in a statement. Failure to fully investigate such serious crimes is, re is reprehensible and downright disgraceful. The, investi the investigation began when a victim called the agency's sex crimes unit to ask about her case, the news release said, and Campbell told his supervisor the victim was uncooperative. The sergeant reopened that case and also reviewed Campbell's files. He found eight cases this year and 25 in 2022 that were classified as unfounded, which means all leads were exhausted. Evidence was reviewed, and the investigator determined no, no crime occurred. Further investigation found 41 of the 99 sex crimes, sex crime and abuse cases Campbell investigated between October 2021 and March were classified as unfounded. Nine women have given sworn statements, including one who said Campbell threatened to have her deported. An investigation is continuing. A lawyer who could speak on Campbell's behalf, was not listed on jail records. However, Matt Cowart, president of the local chapter of the International Union of Police Associations, told the Miami Herald they're aware of the charges. As was anyone accused of a crime, Campbell will have the opportunity to defend himself as the case progresses through the judicial system, he said. In the United States, Perimeter Guards Absent as Two Men Escaped Philadelphia Prison by Claudia Lawyer, The Associated Press, Tuesday, May 9, 2023. Above, above image, this combo from photos provided by Philadelphia Department of Prisons shows from left, Nazar Grant, left, and Amin Hurst. Authorities searched Tuesday, May 9, 2023 for two inmates, one accused of killing four people who were gone from a Philadelphia prison for nearly 19 hours before officials knew. There were no corrections officers. There were no corrections of officers assigned specifically to watch the housing unit of a Philadelphia prison was two, when two inmates escaped Sunday night, and no armed perimeter guards were on duty as the men broke through the prison defense, a correctional officer's union official told the Associated Press on Tuesday. Days later, authorities are still searching for the two men, including one fa who is facing charges in four murders. The men were gone for nearly 19 hours before officials knew they were missing, from the Philadelphia Industrial Correctional Center. The city's prison department is so understaffed that they have not had the armed perimeter guards on duty during that specific nighttime shift for eight or nine months, said David Robinson, president of the Public Service Employees Union's District 33 Council that represents the correctional officers. When the prison is fully staffed, two corrections officers would be assigned to each housing unit. But with recent staffing shortages, the prison has regularly only had one officer assigned to housing units. When other officers don't report to work or the prison reaches critically low staffing levels, one officer might be assigned to monitor multiple units, Robinson said. That's what happened the night the men escaped, he said. I've been talking about the staffing and safety issues for years and seemingly been ignored and seemingly being ignored. I've been saying how something is going to happen, and now that something has happened, so are you listening now, Robinson said. Of course I'm not saying that the commissioner took a key and let them out, but vital posts were cut that could have prevented this. In a statement late Tuesday, the executive staff of the department categorized categorically denied claims that the executive office had closed post due to a staffing shortage and that those closures enabled the escape. Philadelphia Prisons Department Commissioner Blanche Kearney 
said during a news conference Monday night that headcounts conducted at 11 p.m. on Sunday 3 a.m. on Monday and 7 a.m. on Monday reportedly showed that all prisoners were accounted for, and prison staff did not become aware of escaped inmates until 3 p.m. Monday. Prison officials said there was an ongoing investigation reviewing staffing assignments and security tapes. Amin Hurst, 18, and Nasser Grant, 24, escaped from the center, one of several prison facilities clustered together along State Road, around 8.30 p.m., Sunday by cutting, Sunday by cutting a hole in a fence surrounding a recreation yard, the Philadelphia Department of Prison said. We have protocols in place, and those protocols were not followed, Carney said Monday. That yard should have been secured, and the fence not breached. Mayor Jim Kenney said that they want to find out exactly what happened. Clearly, the system screwed up and that up, and people didn't do what they're supposed to do, he said. City officials said they were investigating what protocols were not followed, and how the counts did not turn up the missing inmates until the next day. But Robinson and others, including former city controller Rebecca Reinhardt and prison monitors, have all complained about the worsening staffing levels and the potential dangerous situations that come along with it. The department is a little more than 800 officers down, which is about 40% below the city-approved deployment plan to safely cover the jails that house about 4,300 men and women. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review 2023 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Those vacancies put a huge stress on the officers present and on the day-to-day -day function of the jails, said Nala Barth, the Prison Monitoring Director for the Pennsylvania Prison Society, an independent organization that monitors conditions in jails and prisons across the state and advocates for humane conditions for incarcerated people. Barr said he didn't have access to staffing logbooks, but said monitors for the society had previously reported issues with reported falsifications in the recreation and logbooks and in laundry logs. Multiple incarcerated people in different units described being forced to sign the recreational time logbooks and then were not given that time out of their cell. Those prisoners described guards saying their phone privileges would be taken away if they complained. Most of the reports from the society and accompanying recommendations have been met with denials or skepticism from department leaders, Barr said and the staffing shortages mean new officers are working extended overtime shifts. Literally yesterday, I had a cadet call me. He just graduated last month, and he said to me, I don't want to quit, but I don't want to die either, Robinson said, and I want to say hang in there, but I can't tell him to stay if he feels he isn't safe. Robinson said the council issued a no-confidence vote on Commissioner Carney on May 2nd, and it was a unanimous vote from membership. Philadelphia police said Hearst was arrested in March 2021. He is accused of shooting and killing a man on Christmas Eve 2020, said Frank Fenor, Philadelphia Police Deputy Commissioner of Investigations. The other three shootings happened in March 2021. He is a very dangerous individual from what we know, and we are looking for the public's help to get him back, Fenor said at the news conference. Grant was being held on conspiracy drug charges and conspiracy weapons charges, Carney said. The inmates were housed in the same unit, but different cells, she said. Robinson questioned why an inmate facing charges in four murders wasn't being housed at the Curon From Fromhold Correction Center, which has a concrete wall rather than a fence. Four, teenager, four teenagers have been charged in the fatal shooting of a Chicago police officer who was slain last weekend as she was heading home from work, authorities said Wednesday. 19-year-olds Joseph Brooks and Travel Breland, Jaquan Bushnan, 18, and 16-year-old and a 16-year-old boy faces charges of first-degree murder and armed robbery in Saturday's killing of Officer Arn. Ariana Preston, 24, 
the Chicago Police Department said Preston was fatally shot about 1.40 a.m. Saturday during a robbery spree. All four were also charged with armed robbery, burglary, motor vehicle theft, and other offenses in connection with incidents that occurred on Friday and Saturday, police said. The four were ordered held without bail Wednesday by Judge David Kelly, who said prosecutors had provided a mountain of evidence that the suspects had engaged in a very violent crime spree. After the bond hearing, Preston's mother, after the bond hearing, Preston's mother, Dion Moon, said she was heartbroken and full of anger, rage, questions why. It wasn't immediately known if they had lawyers who could comment for them. Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a statement commending police for swiftly apprehending the suspects responsible for Preston's heinous murder. Their diligent efforts have removed violent repeat offenders from our streets, Lightfoot said. Cook County prosecutor said Preston was off duty on her way home after a shift early Saturday on the city's south side when the suspects passed her in a sedan, circled back and approached her as she stood in front of her house. Residential surveillance video shows three people getting out of the sedan and running toward Preston, who was still in uniform, before several muzzle flashes are visible on video and she falls to the ground. According to court documents, the attackers ran back to the sedan before one person returned to grab Preston's gun, court documents allege. Interim Police Superintendent Eric Carter said Preston's death was a tragedy for the city. Tyrone Pendar Pendarvis, the commander of the 5th District where Preston served, said the officer was a rising star whose death affected all who know her. She will truly be missed, he said. Preston worked for the department for just three years before her killing, according to department officials. Hers is considered a line of duty death, which entitles her family to financial assistance from the state, the Chicago Tribune reported. In the, in the United States, police say a man fatally shot co-worker at Virginia Hospital following an altercation by his Associated Press Wednesday, May 10, 2023. An altercation between two co-workers at a Virginia hospital led to a fatal shooting early Monday, early Wednesday, police said. Richmond police said they are working with the VCU Police Department to investigate the shooting at the VCU Medical Center. Police said in a news release that officers from both departments received an emergency call at about 12.04 a.m., reporting shots fired and an active threat inside the medical center. Officers determined that the two employees had an altercation in a stairwell, which resulted in one of the co-workers shooting the other. Police identified the victims as Taekwon White, 25, of Richmond. Police said the shooting suspect, Christopher Boiseau, 24, of Henrico, was taken into custody and charged with maliciously shooting within a building. They said additional charges are pending. It could not immediately be determined if Boiseau has retained a lawyer to represent him. VCU police briefly locked down the building. No other injuries were reported. Police did not immediately release details on what jobs the men held at the hospital. In the United States, Please don't shoot us. Please, man, don't shoot us. Witness says man shot three people, killing one, in dispute over $4. By the Associated Press, Wednesday, May 10, 2023, a man fatally shot another customer inside a Detroit gas station and wounded, and wounded two more after the clerk locked the door in a dispute over a small purchase, authorities said Wednesday. Details emerge as prosecutors charged Samuel McRae, 27, with murder and attempted murder. He pleaded not guilty and was denied bond during a court appearance. The shooting occurred after 3 a.m. Saturday. McRae tried to leave the gas station with items worth less than $4 after an electronic purchase was rejected. But the clerk locked the door, the prosecutor's office said.
McRae threatened to shoot everyone inside the gas station unless a door was unlocked, according to witness David Langston. Langston told WJBK-TV that he begged McRae, Please, man, don't shoot us. We don't got nothing to do with this. And he started shooting. Langston, 37, was wounded, but his best friend, Gregory Kelly, 37, was killed. A 60-year-old man was also wounded. After the men were shot, the clerk unlocked the door to the store, and McRae fled from the scene, the prosecutor's office said. McRae was returned to jail after appearing in court Wednesday. He asked for a court-appointed attorney. Prosecutor Kim Worthy also Kim Worthy had planned to hold a news conference but cancelled it and said the investigation was ongoing. Kelly had plenty of friends. His mother, Marlene Fortner, said he just did not deserve a death like that. In the United States, George Santos pleads not guilty to federal indictment and says he won't resign. Santos was taken to a federal courthouse on Long Island to face charges of wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds, and making false statements to Congress by Jack Offenharts and Michael R. Siesk, the Associated Press, Wednesday 10, 2023. Above image, U.S. Representative George Santos leaves a federal courthouse in central in Central Slip and Y, Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. U.S. Representative George Santos, infamous for fabricating his life story, pleaded not guilty Wednesday to charges he duped donors, stole from his campaign, and lied to Congress about being a millionaire, all while, ch all while cheating to collect unemployment benefits he didn't deserve. Afterward, he said he wouldn't drop his re-election bid and defied calls to resign. Santos' 13-count federal indictment was a reckoning for a web of fraud and deceit that prosecutors say overlapped with the New York Republicans' fantastical public image as a wealthy businessman, a fictional biography that began to unravel after he won election last fall. Santos, 34, was released on a $500,000 bond following his arraignment about five hours after turning himself in to face charges of wire fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds, and making false statements to Congress. He surrendered his passport and could face up to 20 years in prison if convicted. This is the beginning of the ability for me to address and defend myself. A cheerfully combative Santos told reporters, swarming him outside a Long Island federal courthouse. He said he has been cooperating with the investigation and vowed to fight the prosecution, which he labeled a witch hunt. His lawyer, Joseph Murray, was more circumspect, saying, Any time the federal government comes after you, it's a serious case. We have to take this serious. Santos said he, he planned to return to Washington, where the indictment is amplifying doubts about the freshman's ability to serve. House Republican leaders are taking a wait-and-see approach, saying Santos is innocent until proven guilty. Others are reiterating previous calls for Santos to step aside. I think we're seeing that the wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind fine, said Senator Mitt Romney, a Utah Republican, who confronted Santos on the House floor at President Joe Biden's State of the Union address in February. Asked about Santos on Wednesday, Biden said, I'm not commenting, adding that anything he said would be construed by some interfering in the investigation. Asked if Congress should expel Santos, Biden said, that's for Congress to decide. Among the allegations, prosecutors say Santos created a company and then induced supporters to donate to it under the false pretense the money would be used to support his campaign. Instead, they say, he used the money for personal expenses, including designer clothes and credit card and car payments.
Santos also is accused of lying about his finances on congressional disclosure forms and obtaining unemployment benefits while he was making $120,000 as regional director of an investment firm that the government shut down in 2021 over allegations that it was a Ponzi scheme. The indictment seeks to hold Santos accountable for various alleged fraudulent schemes and brazen misrepresentations, U.S. Attorney Brian Peace said. Taken together, the allegations in the indictment charge Santos was, was relying on repeated dishonesty and deception to ascend to the halls of Congress and enrich himself. Santos didn't directly address the specifics of the charges to reporters, but when asked why he received unemployment benefits while employed, Santos cited a job change and, confused, and confusion during the COVID-19 pandemic. Santos, sporting his usual crew neck sweater, blazers, and, ki and kayakis, said little during the arraignment, which lasted about 15 minutes. Reporters spilled from the gallery to the jury box, joined by a handful of, of constituents. He should be thrown out of Congress and put in prison, declared Jeff Herzberg, a Long Island resident who spent hours waiting to see Santos' arraignment. I hope that day comes soon. Santos was elected to Congress last fall after a campaign-built party on falsehoods. He told people he was a wealthy Wall Street dealmaker with a substantial real estate portfolio who had been a star volleyball player in college, among other things. In reality, Santos didn't work at the big financial firms he said employed him, didn't go to college, and struggled financially before entering politics. He claimed he fueled his run largely with self-made riches, earned from brokering deals on expensive toys for wealthy clients, but the indictment alleges those boasts were also exaggerated. In a House financial disclosure form, Santos re reported making $750,000 a year from a family company, the Devolder Organization, but the charges unsealed Wednesday alleged that Santos never received that sum, nor the one million and five million in dividends he listed as coming from the firm. Santos has described the Devolder organization as a broker for sales of luxury items like yachts and aircraft. The business was incorporated in Florida shortly after Santos stopped working for Harbor City Capital, the company accused by federal authorities of operating an illegal Ponzi scheme. In November 2021, Santos formed Redstone Strategies, a Florida company that federal prosecutors say he used to dupe donors into financing his lifestyle. According to the indictment, Santos told an associate to solicit contributions to the company and gave the person contact information for potential donors. Emails to prospective donors falsely claimed the company was formed exclusively to aid Santos' election bid and that there would be no limits on how much they could contribute. The indictment said, Santos falsely claimed the money would be spent on television ads and other campaign expenses, it said. But a month before his election, Santos transferred about $74,000 from the company to bank accounts he maintained, the indictment said. He also transferred money to some of his associates, it said. Santos' legal troubles date to his late teens when he was investigated in Brazil for allegedly using stolen checks to buy clothes, a case that authorities say they've since reopened. In 2017, Santos was charged with theft in Pennsylvania for allegedly using thousands of dollars in bogus checks to buy puppies from breeders. That case was dismissed after Santos claimed his checkbook was stolen and someone else took the dogs. Federal authorities have, have separately been looking into companies about Santos. Federal authorities have separately been looking into complaints about Santos fundraising for a group that, that purported to help abused pets. A New Jersey veteran accused Santos of failing to deliver $3,000 he raised to help to help his dog 
get needed surgery. Associated Press writer Sung Min Kim in White Plains, New York, Farnesh Armari in Washington, and Alana Durkin Richer in Boston contributed to this report. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review 2023 on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. In the GTA, woman dead after apparent shooting in Etobicoke, suspect fled the scene. Police say they they were called to Man to Manitoba Street and Legion Road North around 4:30 a.m. on Wednesday by Kelly Scurgeon. Staff reporter, Wednesday, May 10, 2023. A woman is dead after an apparent shooting in the Humber Bay Shores neighborhood in Etobicoke as Toronto police are looking for a man who they say fled the scene. Police say crews responded to a call in the Manitoba Street and Legion Road North area for unknown trouble around 4.30 a.m. on Wednesday. Police added residents called condo security and reported hearing a violent interaction and and then the sound of a loud bang. Security investigated and found the woman. Emergency services attempted life-saving measures, but the woman was pronounced dead at the scene. Police have not released her age or any other identifying information. A woman succumbed to her injuries, which police say are consistent with the shooting. The homicide unit is investigating, police added. On Wednesday, officers could be seen going into and leaving 251 Manitoba Street, which residents say is a new building housing families and young people. The building is surrounded by other condo buildings and small businesses across the street, as well as a large park with a soccer field and running track. Police cars could be seen parked nearby, and a police dog was also seen working at the alley of another building which was cornered off with crime scene tape. Residents of the building say they haven't heard many details from building security about what happened. I don't even know if it's actually sunk in yet, said condo resident Joyce Simonini, who said she didn't hear the altercation. We hear a lot of stuff on the news when it's closer to home, and honestly, this is as close as it gets. I guess it's a bit more unnerving, but it's things that happen like, I just don't think we need to panic. Simone said, Simone added, residents say an intercom announcement in the morning told them they couldn't leave the building in their vehicle as the underground parking garage was temporarily closed. Liz Nicholson has lived in the building since December and said the tenants are nice and friendly. It's a nice area. I'm just feeling a little unsafe right now, Nicholson said. Anyone with information about the incident is asked to call the police at 416-808-7400 or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously at 416-222-TIPS brackets 8477 or at www.222tips.com. In Canada, several police forces review deaths for links to man charged in lethal product sale by Maimon Almidi, this Canadian press, Wednesday, May 10, 2023. Above image, Kenneth Law appears in court in Brampton, Ontario, Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023, in an artist's sketch. Toronto police say they are reviewing sudden death incidents that could be linked to the case of an Ontario man accused of selling a lethal substance to people at risk of self-harm. Several police forces say they are reviewing sudden deaths in their regions that could be linked to an, to an Ontario man accused of selling a lethal substance to people at risk of self-harm. Peel Regional Police arrested Kenneth Law last week and charged the 57-year-old with two counts of counseling or aiding suicide after investigating two recent deaths in the area. 
Law, who is in custody, awaiting a bail hearing, appeared briefly at Brampton, Ontario courthouse by video link on Wednesday before his case was put over until, fr until Monday. Peel Regional Police allege the Mississauga, Ontario man used a series of websites to market and sell sodium nitrate. Sodium nitrite, a substance that is commonly used to cure meats but can also be deadly. The forest has said one person died in Peel region at the end of March after consuming sodium nitrate, allegedly bought from an online company owned by law. Investigators said they later learned of a second death. Three other police forces said they were reviewing past deaths in the light of the allegations against law. Toronto Police said their review is part of the ongoing investigation by Peel Region Police. Toronto Police Service is conducting a review of a sudden death occurrences that could be linked to this matter, the force wrote in a statement. In Durham Region, east of Toronto, police said they were working with the coroner's office to review sudden death investigations where sodium nitrate or sodium nitrite were deemed to be the cause of death or a contributing factor. Durham Regional Police Service can confirm one case has been identified from 2022. The forest wrote in a statement, we will be collaborating with Peel Regional Police to determine if it is linked to the Kenneth Law investigation. Meanwhile, police in Regina said they have reopened one death investigation. Through investigation done by Peel Regional Police, one potential victim was identified in Regina, said the force wrote in a statement. At this time, work to determine the circumstances of this case is ongoing. The Office of the Chief Coroner for Ontario said it is helping police in their investigations into law. Spokeswoman Stephanie Rhea, Rhea said the office cannot divulge how many cases a coroner is examining, but noted they investigate every substance-related death, whether intentional or accidental. There have been at least 37 deaths due to sodium nitrate since 2019, Rhea said. More than 90% of those deaths were deemed suicides. Peel Regional Police have said that their investigation into law found that at least 1,200 packages, they have not detailed what was in them, were allegedly sent to 40 countries. They said investigators have been reaching out to police in those countries and officers have been conducting well-being checks on people who received a package. A coroner's report from the United Kingdom appears to point to at least one death by suicide in the UK that's linked to a poster box in Mississauga and a company named Police of Link to Law. Ontario Provincial Police alerted the public last week to report any packages received from five companies they allege are connected to law, Academic, Ambu, CA, ICEMAC, Escape Mode, and M-Time Cuisine. Health Canada has said it has been made aware of reports of people intentionally ingesting sodium nitrate and nit or nitrite with the intent of self-harm and is taking action to address, this, to address this concerning trend with files from Liam Casey. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, support is available 24-7 by calling Talk Suicide Canada, 1-833-456-4566, or for residents of Quebec, 1-866-APPELLE, or brackets, 1-866-277. 3553. This report by the Canadian Press was first published May 10, 2023. In the United States, grief book author's murder charge tangled in a in estate dispute by Sam Metz, the Associated Press, Tuesday, May 9, 2023. Above image, this photo provided by kpcw.org shows Corey Richens at the KPCW studio in Park City, Utah, April 12, 2023. 
Richens was arrested on Monday, May 8th in Utah and is accused in charging documents of and is accused in, char in charging documents of poisoning her husband with a lethal dose of fentanyl at their home in Camas, a small mountain town. A children's book author who prosecutors say killed her husband has been battling with his relatives over the family estate since his death last year, court documents show. Corey Richens, 33, is accused of poisoning her husband with a lethal dose of fentanyl at their home in a small mountain town near Park City, according to charging documents. The murder charges filed this week come months after Richens self-published Are You With Me?, an illustrated storybook chronicling a young boy who wonders how his deceased father remains a presence in his life. Prosecutors allege Richens called authorities in the middle of the night in March 2022 to report that her husband, Eric Richens, was cold to the touch. She told officers she had made her husband a mixed drink to celebrate him selling a multi-million dollar home. She then went to seize one of their children to sleep in the next bedroom. When she returned, she found her husband unresponsive and she called 911, according to prosecutors. A medical examiner later found five times the lethal dose of fentanyl in his, in his system. In addition to the murder charge, Richens also faces charges involving the alleged possession of GHB, a narcolepsy drug frequently used in recreational settings, including at dance clubs. The charges are based on officers' interactions with Richens that night and the account of an unnamed acquaintance who claims to have sold her the fentanyl. The acquaintance told investigators they sold Richens the opioid hydrocodone once and fentanyl twice in February and March 2022. The charging documents allege Richens deleted text messages from the night of her husband's death before handing her phone over to investigators and may have tried to poison her husband on Valentine's Day, a month before his death. Shortly after their dinner, Eric became very ill. Eric told a friend that he thought his wife was trying to poison him, investigators wrote, referring to the Valentine's Day incident. Richens' attorney, Sky Lazaro, declined to comment on the charges. The Utah Department of Child Protective Services did not respond to questions about where the children are while their mother is held without bail. In Richens' book, the boy wonders if his father, who has died, notices his goals at a soccer game, his nerves on the first day of school, or the presents he found under a Christmas tree. Yes, I'm with you, an angel wing clad father figure wearing a trucker hat responds. I'm with you when you scored that goal. I'm with you when you walk the halls. I'm here and we're together. Months before her arrest, Richens told news outlets that she decided to write, Are you with me? after her husband unexpectedly died last year, leaving her widowed and raising three boys. She said she looked for materials for children on grieving loved ones and found few resources, so decided to create her own. She planned to write sequels. In search warrants obtained by KSL.com and CPSW Radio, family members interviewed by investigators indicate that Eric Richens was seeking to divorce Corey and had recently changed his will and life insurance policy. One of Richens' sisters told officers that Eric had long suspected his wife of attempting to poison him, including on a vacation to Greece, to Greece several years ago. The warrants describe conflict between the couple over a $2 million home that Corey purchased with the aim to resell it quickly, despite the objections from her husband based on the price. Civil court filings that were submitted in different cases after Eric Richens' death outline how the suspicious circumstances surrounding his death have become entangled with questions over his assets and an estate held in a trust and managed by his sister. Richens has fought with members of her deceased husband's family since the day after his death in March 2022, the documents show. Richens said her sister-in-law had a fight the day after Eric's death at the family home, According to the documents, she subsequently sued for more than $3.6 million and to remove Katie Richens Benson, a trustee, arguing that a pre 
prenuptial agreement she and her husband signed entitled her to his assets if he died before they divorced. It remains unclear how the estate dispute will be affected by the murder and drug possession charges against merchants. Utah law prohibits those convicted of homicide from profiting from their crime. In crime, jail term for Niagara man for role in violent home invasion. Round fired into ceiling after victim refused to comply with captors, demands court hears. By Allison Langley, Review Reporter, Thursday, May 4th, 2023. When Niagara police searched the bedroom of a 15-year-old boy as part of a 2021 investigation into a violent home invasion, they discovered a map to the victim's home and an and an ominous checklist, written on a piece of paper saved from a Welland residence, where the words duct tape, latex gloves, zip ties, flashlight. The 20-year-old victim of the targeted home invasion at a secluded property in Pelham had been taped to a chair by three armed youths. There is no minimizing how serious these offenses were, Judge Donald Wolf told 19-year-old Aidan Baker. The one place a person is entitled to feel safe is in his family home, and the victim described what happened as being the most frightening experience of his life. In Ontario Court of Justice in St. Catherine's first day, Baker was sentenced to two years behind bars and placed on probation for three years on charges of break and enter, forcible confinement, and a firearms offense. Baker was 18 when he and two other males forced their way into the home shortly before 7 a.m. on September 4, 2021. The Fenwick resident and a second man carried firearms while the third was armed with a knife. The trio confronted the sleeping resident and ordered him into the basement. When the man initially refused, court was told a round was fired into the ceiling. The victim then had his hands taped behind his back and was forced into the basement. With a man taped to a chair, the trio ransacked the home, grabbed a banker's box containing thousands of dollars. Later that day, Niagara Regional Police received a call from two young men where, where playing with a firearm in an apartment complex in Welland. The males were arrested and police recovered a revolver pellet gun, the banker's box, and almost $9,000 in cash. The subsequent investigation uncovered the note and the map. The victim did not sustain any physical injuries as a result of the incident, court heard, but he still struggles with the emotional impact of what happened. He continues to be haunted that he might be attacked again for financial gain, the judge said. All significant impacts, all unsurprisingly, unsurprising, given the nature of the offense before the court. The second defendant, now 16, who cannot be identified due to provisions of the Youth Criminal Justice Act, will be sentenced in June on charges of forcible confinement and break and enter. The first suspect remains at large. In the United States, free speech, racial equity battles play out on Wisconsin campuses by Todd Richmond, the Associated Press, Thursday, May 11, 2023. Above image, University of Wisconsin, Madison students from left, Marissa Skelly, Martin Jarziana, Sam Brodnax, and Morgan Menke hold up signs protecting racism on campus during meeting for the UW System Board of Regents on campus in Madison, Wisconsin, December 11, 2015. The fight over racial equity and free speech on Wisconsin college campuses is intensifying, mirroring a national battle as Republicans work to close campus diversity offices and demand students and faculty treat conservative speakers with respect. In just the past two weeks, the state's top Republican announced a push to defund the University of Wisconsin system's diversity efforts, a move the Democratic government lambasted as, ridic as ridiculous. A student from UW-Madison posted racial slurs online, triggering bitter protests, but no announced discipline, and a state medical college canceled a diversity symposium featuring Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, out of concerns the discussion would be too disruptive, 
resulting in cries of bias from conservatives. Amid that backdrop, Republican legislative leaders are set to hold a hearing Thursday with only invited speakers to discuss how the lack of free speech and intellectual diversity on college campuses affects the quality of higher education. The speakers include John Saylor, policy director at the National Association of Scholars, a conservative group that advocates against diversity policies, and Tim Higgins, a former UW regent appointed by former Republican Governor Scott Walker. I think people are talking about viewpoint diversity as being an important or more important as being as important or more important than other types of diversity, said Republican Representative David Murphy, a chairman of the State Assembly's Colleges Committee, who will preside over the hearing. And I think diversity efforts aren't showing any benefits. Paulette Granberry Russell, president of the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, said it's disheartening to see a hearing on free speech with only invited speakers. She said the GOP is trying to paint diversity offices as giving minorities an unfair advantage when they're only trying to help everyone understand a broad range of perspectives. Contrary to those opposed of these opposed to these offices, our work includes protecting free speech, she said. Republicans argue that diversity offices designed to help minorities navigate academia only heighten racial tensions, and the GLP has maintained for years that colleges don't give, don't give conservative presenters the same opportunities as liberals to speak on campus. A survey released in February by the UW system, which includes 13 four-year schools, found almost half the students who responded at least somewhat agree that administrators should bar controversial speakers if some students find the message offensive. The issues have bubbled to the forefront this month, starting with Assembly Speaker Robin Vals' announcement last week that he wants to defund campus diversity offices. He called the offices a waste of taxpayer dollars and said they exacerbate the racial divide. Democratic Governor Tony Evers has called has called Voss's proposal ridiculous, but Voss plans but Voss's plan tracks with a national GOP push to dismantle campus diversity offices. Republican lawmakers in at least a dozen states have proposed more than 30 diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in higher education, according to an analysis by the Associated Press using the bill tracking software Plural.sum. Proposals would ban DEI offices or any funding for them. Others would forbid administrators from considering diversity as part of the hiring or administration or admissions process. Around the same time as Voss' announcement, a white UW Madison student posted a racist screed online in which she said she wants to see some black people enslaved so she can abuse them. The post triggered two days of protests on Wisconsin's flagship campus, with students demanding the student be expelled. University officials condemned the posting, but said they can't take action against legal free speech. Meanwhile, officials at the Medical College of Wisconsin decided to cancel Friday's campus symposium, focusing on the uses and abuses of government-sponsored diversity programming on college campuses and in medical science and tech education. The college's president, John Raymond Sr., sent a message May 4th to students about staff saying he canceled to students and staff saying he canceled the symposium because discussions about the event have become unacceptably disruptive. Raymond issued the message on the same day as the UW Madison protests. Johnson was stated Johnson was slated to take part in the symposium along with Sailor, who posted a copy of a letter that faculty sent to Raymond on April 30th saying they oppose a pseudo-academic and potentially harmful meeting. Disclose discourse that is potentially motivated and not rooted in evidence adds nothing to the MCW learning community and makes our learners feel unsafe, the letter said. Saylor tweeted that letter was a textbook heckler's veto. 
Johnson's office said the symposium will now be held online, but the senator said in a statement that he hopes to meet with medical college leaders to discuss why they felt they couldn't host the event. You've been listening to reading of art to a reading of articles and features from the Niagara Falls Review, 2023. Your reader has been Gardenia. Thank you for listening. Many people feel that COVID isn't a deadly threat anymore. But if you're older or a person with disabilities getting COVID could still... The following program is intended for listeners who are blind, have low vision, or have another print disability, 